the quietest member of the team um, said, hey, I'm reading this great book and I'm always wondering, who do I think I am to write songs about Jesus? Because I've messed up my life so much in so many ways. And this author says that she's started to reframe the question. Instead of who she is, she talks about whose she is. What a healing balm that was to my heart. Because I thought, I don't have to have lived my whole life right to be a great parent. I'm a daughter of the King, and as such, I have the right to unfold, the help God unfold the lives of these three that He's assigned to me. Dana Gresh joins us on Focus on the Family, and we thank you for listening in. I'm John Fuller, and your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. John, I love it when Dana is here in the studio with us. She always brings such heart to the table, um, no matter what the topic is. And today she's going to walk you, Mom, uh, through struggles you may be facing, uh, from the lighthearted to the soul-breaking. And I think today's program is going to really touch you. Uh, here at Focus on the Family, we consider it our mission and really a privilege, um, our calling to bring you biblically-based parenting resources and tools to help you as you raise up that next generation of godly children. Um, we're here to help you launch them well. And we're in it too. John and I are both still in it, along with many of us here in the studio. So uh, I'm looking forward to uh, learning what moms go through as we talk with Dana today. Yeah, and she doesn't bring cookie-cutter solutions. She always has a biblical perspective. Uh, Dana is a very popular speaker and author and has written a number of books. And uh, the one that will form the basis for a lot of our conversation today is called The 20 Hardest Questions Every Mom Faces. Uh, Dana, welcome back. Oh, it's my privilege. Thank you for having me. <laughs> uh, Dana, let's get to it. Yeah. Uh, when you look at the toughest questions that moms have, what's that most common question? What do you hear that really uh, comes at you all the time from moms? I think the question that mom said most commonly haunted them is, am I messing up my kids? <laughs> <laughs> I think dads have it. hopefully yeah, the same question. Right. And um, my answer isn't very consoling because I said, yes, we are. We're messing them all up. Um, yeah, that doesn't bring a lot of encouragement. <laughs> Thank you for listening and to that's Focus our program. on the Family. Thanks a lot. <laughs> now, what you're really saying, if I can interpret this, yes. is uh, that imperfect people yeah. are given the uh, wonderful task of raising imperfect people. Yeah. Is that kind of it? I- exactly. That is the kind way of saying what I want to get to. <laughs> um, you know, the thing is that we are so haunted by this question, and I really spent a lot of time in this chapter because of the pain that moms feel in regards to it. I so wanted to say, no, no, nobody's messing up anybody, but that's not truth. And if we don't find truth, we don't find peace. What I found was a story in the Bible of a mom who lost her child for three days, and when she found her child, who was only 12 years old at the time, she did not say, oh, son, we found you. It's wonderful. We're back. She scolded him. Don't you know that your father and I have been looking for you for three days? We've been so full of anxiety and fear. And of course, that mother was Mary, Mary, the mother of our <laughs> Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so if Mary had some bad moments, I think we are going to, too. Um, you think that was a bad moment? I think, I think was she was upset. I think she was upset, too. <laughs> the research, I did some research on what happens when we leave our children, when we lose our children. And one of the most long-term 
impacts of that creates fear and anxiety in a child is being left behind. We're not talking being left behind like in the Christmas movie, okay, for uh, however long that was, or being left behind for three days. We're talking about being left behind for an hour at a grocery store, that that really does have long-term impact on a child. And the advice from all the mommy blogs and um, different psychologists are when you do find your child, make sure you make them feel safe and welcomed. That's not really what Mary did. I wouldn't say... <laughs> Nope. it was one of her best moments. But I wouldn't say she messed up her son either. I would say that's probably something that God the Father knew was going to happen. It didn't take him by surprise. And so what I want moms to hear is that, yeah, we are going to not do everything perfectly, but we can't be governed by the fear of that. The Bible verse in that chapter that I want moms to cling to is 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a mind of peace. We are imperfect. We are going to mess things up as moms, but we cannot be governed by the fear of that. Dan, that's so important. I mean, you got to hit that again because Mm -hmm. I think that's where so many moms live. And I know it's true in our family. I mean, Jean is very concerned about things and that fear can harm that relationship as well, can't it? Absolutely. You can live the relationship out of fear than rather the power and the peace and the love that God means for us. But it's normal. It is normal. For moms to feel that anxiety that they're not doing things perfectly. Mm -hmm. But how how does a mom get through that fear? And actually settle down and trust God with their parenting and with their children, even in bad moments. I think there's two really important things. One is, as a mom or a dad, it's okay to apologize to your children. It's okay to say, I'm sorry, mommy didn't do that very well at all. I was afraid. I couldn't find you. You are so important to me. I really overreacted when I did find you. Will you forgive me for the way I responded? It's okay to do that as a mom. You're not going to lose any authority or power or position in your family by asking your child to forgive you. So are you saying that behind the question of am I messing my kid up is the I'm emotionally explosive, does that mess them up? (laughs) Well, sure. I mean, emotionally wealthy, I call it. Emotional wealth. <laughs> Plenty of emotion. There's a mm. lot of emotion. <laughs> enough in the bank uh, for everybody. There's enough for everybody. That's right. Um, but yeah, some of the ways that we tend to mess up our kids, some of those explosive moments are because of our fears. And so I think it's okay to just say, hey, I was afraid mm-hmm. and I need you to forgive me. And um, the other thing I think that's really important to get over that overwhelming fear of am I messing up my kids to where you're thinking about it all the time is to pour your heart out to the Lord and to just say, God, I'm overwhelmed by this. I Mm. am stressed out. I think about it too much. What do I do with this? Bring to God what is in us. Um, The model for this book, The 20 Hardest Questions, is Hannah, who we find in the Old Testament. And she pours her heart out to God. She is praying so hard that Eli thinks she's a drunk woman. (laughs) This is not your pretty prayer. This is not your prayerless prayer. This is, you know, red nose, mascara running down the sides of your face, snotty nose prayer, really messy stuff. It's not cute. And, um, And yet she doesn't care what Eli thinks or any other passerby because she is pouring her soul out to the Lord. And many times as moms, we think our prayers about our children should be neat and tidy and there should be a list and we should be able to cross it off with a date that that prayer was answered. Instead, let's just be messy. C.S. Lewis says, 
Bring to God what is in you, not what should be. And as moms, we need to, God knows what's in there. He knows how ugly and fearful and full of anxiety and vexation inside of us can be. Bring it to him. That's a good word. You had this uh, situation with your daughter, Lexi, I think a pottery class that you talked about in the Uh book. Uh, What did you learn through that? What was the circumstance? Well, the circumstance of that was I dropped her off as a 12-year-old to her pottery class, and every week there was an art gallery in the entryway. And this particular week, the art gallery was very demonic. There's no way to say it other than that. There were um, pottery displays of like Adam and Eve doing horrible things in the Garden of Eden, Um, a pottery, a life-sized skeleton where the flesh had been burned out, and it said something horrible about the purpose. Yes, the back of the pottery um, display was a beautiful antique Bible, huge Bible, and a Sharpie marker had been taken, and every word in the Bible had been marked out except three on a page that was open to the book of Revelations, God is dead. Mm. So this was really dark stuff. And my mama bear came alive and well. And I started clacking my heels across the concrete floor to go get my sweet baby girl from her pottery wheel. I was not going to let her here in this place. And God's spirit just kindly said, did you check in with me about this decision? Did you ask me about this decision? Because it was at a time when I was practicing giving my children back to the Lord. And (laughs) that's what Hannah did. You know, she gave her baby before he was even born, Samuel, back to God. And our prayers and petitions for our children are really self-centered if we don't say, okay, but ultimately, God, they're yours. What do you want? And I felt like God would have me let her stay that day. And so I did. I let her stay. And when I got her back in the minivan um, an hour later, she had a tale to tell about how that dark pottery display brought up a discussion about heaven and hell. Mm. She was the only Christian in the bunch. Her teacher was an agnostic. There was a high school girl in the class that was an atheist and then a little girl younger than Lexi that was scared to death of the whole conversation. But Lexi brought comfort to that little girl's heart. And she told them, she said, you know, I don't know if this was the most mature way to say this, but Lexi gets her sense of humor from her father. (laughs) (laughs) Blame it on your dad. There we go. (laughs) And in the end, she said, you know, I finally got tired of the conversation and trying to just say that heaven and hell are real places. And I finally said, well, you know, the bottom line is this. If hell is real, I have fire insurance. And it sounds like maybe you don't. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. That should catch somebody's attention. And you know, she was 12. So it wasn't maybe the most uh, tender or sensitive way to communicate, but she was firm about what she believed. Mm. What I know to be true is this, that if we are paranoid, legalistic moms who do not take our fears to God in prayer, we don't allow our children to face the Goliaths that God has determined Mm. that they will slay. And that day, I think Lexi slayed one of hers. Wow. I want you to finish that four-step process Mm -hmm. that you found in 1 Samuel related to Hannah, because there are four key elements there. They really are the core of the book. Mm -hmm. So hit those again as we continue through the questions, because I think it's great wisdom that you pulled out of Scripture. Well, the very first one that Hannah did was she poured out her insecurities and complaints to the Lord, and she did that. It wasn't cute. I mean, she just said, Lord, this is what I fear. This is what I feel. And the second thing is she gave her children to the Lord. She gave Samuel to the Lord. And we need to give our kids to God. It is an incomplete act 
to ask God for something as a mother without also surrendering those children to him because they are first and foremost his. And you gave an illustration of that, but I would say probably 50% or more of moms really struggle in this area. They'll verbalize it. Oh, certainly, yes, I give my kids over yeah. to the Lord. But then they're jumping in constantly, there saving There has to be them. action. So for that mom, how does she self-identify that I may be doing too much to save my child from things that the Lord may want to use in their lives? When do you know you're a helicopter mom? Yeah, I think the first thing you do is you start the practice of asking God, just like I did that day in the pottery um, class. I mean, the Holy Spirit really helped me because I wasn't, I didn't have any intention of asking God if he wanted to have an opinion on this. <laughs> um, I really felt his spirit say to me, I want to talk to you about this because I realized that I was, I'm going to say it, a controlling mom. And I was the kind of mom who wanted to fix every situation. My kid doesn't have to feel lonely. My kid doesn't have to feel left out. My kid doesn't have to um, not have cute clothes. My mm. kid, all this stuff. Um, I wanted to control that so they didn't feel the pain of it. And so I had been practicing saying, Lord, what do you want when it comes to Robbie being on the traveling soccer team or not? Lord, what do you want? And so that gave the Holy Spirit the geography in my heart in that moment to say, hey, I think you forgot something here. Did you ask me? So it was a lesson for you. Oh, yeah. I still think I probably struggle with it, even as an empty nesting mom. I had a, one of my daughters was living away from home recently and was lonely. And I thought, well, I can write books from anywhere. I'll just go there. I'll fix the loneliness, right? And the Lord just said, did you ask me? Mm. And as I spent time with God, he said, really, I want, what I want you to pray is not that her loneliness would be erased but that she would find friendship with God in the loneliness. Wow. And I'd, that is the goal. Oh, my. It was a really hard, tearful prayer for me to pray that. Okay. So we got two of the four. I keep yep. cutting you off because it's so good. The uh, third one. The third one is tell someone. You need to tell someone. And Hannah is at the temple. Her husband, of course, Elkaniah has come to this communal gathering of prayer. And what the Lord spoke to me is this was a kind of a hard time in their life. They're going through the trial and the pain of we can't have a baby. This is really important to us, much more important even than it would be today in that society where the only value a woman had was to give birth. Mm -hmm. And so she was in tremendous pain. But does she stay home? You know, I think that's what we do sometimes at mom, as moms. We're going through a hard trial. We're in pain. So let's not go to church this week because I just I don't want to deal with people. I want to be alone. Well, okay. So here's the thing about prayer. Majority of the teaching in scripture is on corporate prayer. For example, Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Our father, not my father, our father. It's a corporate act. Jesus said, when two or three are gathered, there I am. And so moms, we have to stop getting so consumed by our holy prayer closets. Not that those aren't good places, we got to come out of them. That means that when your child isn't performing academically, you got to have another mom that you say, yeah, my kid is failing math and it's so embarrassing for me and I, I haven't been able to fix it. Because listen to me, if we can't do those little things, then when our kid is a prodigal, you're going to run to your prayer closet and not tell anyone. And I know this about the enemy. He walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't go after the herd. He goes after the lone deer, the lone impala, 
And so if you are hiding alone in your prayers for your children, you are making them more, more vulnerable. Wow. You have got to tell someone. Yeah. And then the fourth one. Wait. What does that mean? Period. Wait, period. Oh, I really wish that that wasn't in this book, and I wish it wasn't in the Bible. But um, Hannah conceived in due time. So patient? She was patient. And, I, you know, I wish we didn't have to wait for the Lord to heal our child's learning disability or their physical weaknesses and sicknesses or to find them a friend when they're lonely. I wish we didn't have to wait Mm. for God to fix our families, but we do. And the lesson that really is not in this book, but it's so beautiful. My friend Nancy Damas Wogelmuth shared it with me when I was speaking on Hannah a few months ago. She said it was in that waiting time that Hannah's prayers for her children came into alignment with God's will because Hannah wanted a baby, but God needed a prophet. Hannah saw her empty arms and felt her empty womb, but God saw that there was a nation that had not heard the voice of God for over a hundred years. And in that time of waiting and pain, Hannah's heart came into alignment with truly giving her son to God so that he could be that prophet, that first one to hear God's voice. Mm. All right, Dana, let's get to some of those questions. Uh, One of the ones that caught my attention, and I think a lot of young women, particularly in their 20s and 30s, you know, maybe two years into their marriage, how many kids should I have? Mm -hmm. I know Gene and I talked about that, and you probably talk about it before you get married. You know, how many kids would you like to have? When would you want to start trying to get pregnant? That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that's a common question, isn't it? It is a common question. And it's becoming one that's being discussed, I guess, a lot more theologically than it once was. Um, Protestants are starting to even rethink birth control. And I'm not going to take a side on whether we should or shouldn't. But what I will say is that what's valid about the conversation is, is God in control of how many children we should have. I mean, we ask God, where should I live? What job should I take? Um, Should I marry this guy? But when it comes to how many kids we have, we have our plans. Well, (laughs) I would like the perfect, what is it, the average American 2.6 or, yeah, three, (laughs) um, three children, um, because that's what I can manage financially and I can still have my career. And I think at the heart of it, what I'm hearing in the conversation that's so valid is that as women and as men, we need to come to God and say, hey, you're in charge of our fertility too. You're in charge of how many children we should have because we don't know what the will of God is for how many kids we should have. Maybe that third child, because you only got to 2.3, yeah. is the one that God is going to be God's prophet. And he has a really big plan because that child has to be crafted and formed under the hands of this mom and this dad with these character traits and these this access to mm. this ministry or that opportunity. And so I just think what's valid is that we need to be asking God, Lord, what do you say? You know, and I'm mindful, uh, you know, with focus and the, the listener audience, um, there are women that can't conceive, and mm-hmm. so they feel that pain as well. Even cringe, perhaps, when we talk about what number should we have yeah. when they can't have any. It brings up a hollow place, a deeply hollow place in their heart. Speak to her. I have walked closely with a friend who has known that deep pain. She is an author, Donna Van Leer. She is one of my dearest friends in the whole world. Many women have probably read her Christmas shoes books, um, Mm -hmm. but she's also written a book called Finding Grace. Grace is the name of her first daughter. 
who she found through the very painful pathway of infertility. And I would say that every mom who is struggling with that should read that book because Donna went through the same process I did, pouring her soul out to God and then saying, okay, God, I give this to you. And God turned her heart towards adoption. She Mm. saw all for how empty her arms were. She saw that there were so many babies who didn't have arms to be in. Mm. And so she and Troy have adopted three beautiful children, Grace, Kate, and um, David, beautiful children. And she wouldn't change a thing. Now, did she feel that when she was waiting painfully for God to answer that? Probably not, but I think you'd be encouraged by her story. No, I love that. Focus, we've uh, embarked on that Wait No More program mm-hmm. to get uh, families to consider foster adoption or yeah. foster family activity, respite care. Well, exactly. That's how our family expanded. Yeah. You know, we had our two children. We were finished. Everything was nice and neat. <laughs> and then God said, hey, I have a child for you to adopt, and she's 13. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we we're like, wow, that's kind of not how adoption usually works, but we brought Autumn Cho Yun Gresh into our family when she was 13 years old from China. And oh, I can't, if I had followed my plan, I would have missed so much blessing and so much joy. And I'm just, it's so exciting to see God's purpose unfold in this sweet young woman's life. Yeah. Uh, let's hit one more before we end for today. We'll come back next time and hit some of these questions, some more of these questions. Uh, one is really uh, personal. They're, these are all personal, actually. Mm-hmm. When you think of the number of children you're supposed to have, we probably have just awakened a lot of emotion for some. And this next one, uh, having teenagers right now, this is really close to my heart. And it's, um, is my child ready to make a decision to follow Christ? Mm. Talk about tender spots. I mean, this is another one. So what's the perfect age? (laughs) You know, I don't know that there's a perfect age. I think there's a perfect readiness. Mm. And um, you can see the readiness. When they begin to be aware of their sinfulness, Mm. that's a sign of readiness. When they begin to say, I understand that Jesus died on the cross for me, that's a sign of readiness. And many times we have families who are saying, well, you know, I just think we need to wait because I don't think they understand the full theology of the gospel. Really? Did you, when you accepted Christ, understand the full <laughs> theology of the gospel? Did you understand sanctification, progressive sanctification, instant sanctification? Your child doesn't have to understand it all. Jesus says, come to me with a childlike faith. But if their heart is demonstrating a readiness, I think as parents, we have to honor that readiness and then nurture it as best we can. This is good. Man, I can't wait to get back to it tomorrow. Uh, We've covered a handful of those questions, but uh, maybe three out of the 20. We're not going to get to all of them next time either. But Dana, as we get the final word in here, that issue of insecurity and fear keeps coming up. So a mom that's saying, yes, this is a realization point for her. She's identifying it for the first time today that she's had those fears. She's um, doing too much to mother her children. Um, What do you want to say to her? I think I immediately go to God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a mind of peace. There have been times in my life that I had to quote that Bible verse over and over and over again until the fear was gone. There's a fear that's kind of like, oh, I'm afraid my child's not going to get on the soccer team. Um, You know, that's normal. But if you're living in chronic fear, it's all the time. That's what I think the Bible calls a spirit of fear. And that Bible verse says it's not from God. 
it's not from him. And so that means part of your heart is yielded to something that's not full of God. Mm. So I would go to someone older and wiser, someone ahead of the years in mothering, and say, I realize that I am just constantly fearful. Will you pray with me? How do I overcome this? Mm. That is good because that's wisdom. Mm-hmm. It's been great. Let's come back next time and pick it up. Let's do it. And I trust that uh, Dana has spoken to your heart, Mom, and that you've been encouraged by her message today. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller. Today's conversation was just what some of us moms needed to hear. Dana seemed to know the questions that so many moms ask on a daily basis. And she pointed us directly to God's word and prayer, which is where we can never go wrong. In her book, The 20 Hardest Questions Every Mom Faces, Dana offers biblically-based wisdom and encouragement, walking with you as you think through 20 of the most difficult questions confronting moms. Discover how to replace your anxiety and frustration with calm assurance that when you pour out your soul to God, He will show you the right path for you and your children. You'll find this great resource on our website at safamily.co.za or give us a call on 031-716-3300 to order. And while you're online, do have a look at our parenting assessment. It's a great tool to show you the areas of your parenting that are strong, as well as some places that you can improve. It's free and it only takes a few minutes to complete. Thanks for being with us for today's Focus on the Family. I'm Alison Schnell, inviting you to join us for the conclusion of our program with Dana Gresh tomorrow, when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.